What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast, and I am excited for the guest that I have today, James Dempsey. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing great. In just a second, James is going to tell us all about the things that he's doing, but first, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by ConfTalks.dev. If you're a developer like me, then you're, you already have so many things on your plate. And you probably forgot to do your weekly review. Otherwise, you would have remembered that there's a CFP call coming up for that conference that you want to give a talk at. ConfTalks.dev is here to help solve that problem. By sending you a gentle email saying, hey, remember that conference that you wanted to give a, a talk at? It's CFP is coming up. Make sure you log in and submit your talk. Um, you simply just go to the website, add the conference that you want to be reminded of. We do all the stuff on the back end. We actually look up when the dates are and we send you reminders based on that information. And of course, it wouldn't be a great web application if you could only look at the conferences that you put in. In fact, we have an algorithmic based system that allows you to set what kind of conferences you want to be notified about, as well as how far, how large and how much they would cost to attend. So for more information on that, visit conftalks.dev. And by the way, that is a new project that I have started, just like all the other ones that we have. And if you're interested in sponsoring the show, please let me know. But that is not why you came to listen to this podcast. You wanted to hear from my guests. So James, I'm just going to let you take it away and tell everybody a bit about yourself. Hi, my name is James Dempsey. Um, I worked at Apple for about 15 years. I joined about nine months before Steve Jobs returned, and I left Apple about six weeks before he passed away. So I was at Apple during that whole upswing the from the iPod to the iPhone, iPad, and beyond. That was a fantastic time to be there. And then uh, since leaving Apple, I've been uh, out on my own as an indie doing contracting consulting, uh, writing iOS apps. Um, also, uh, I am the front man of a band called James Dempsey and the Breakpoints. We're a, a nerdy band that does uh, songs, humorous songs about uh, software programming. And I also am a uh, co-host of a podcast called The Weekly Review, uh, where we, where G my co-host Gene McDonald and I uh, talk about um, our ups and downs in trying to get our lives organized, mostly around the getting things done principles. And uh, that's enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked Gene the same question. Um, unfortunately, when we recorded Gene's interview, it was in the middle of the week, so the answer was an easy no. But here we were at the end of the work week uh, at the time of recording this. So have you done your weekly review or do we still have a few days before that happens? I'm actually happy and proud to say yes. Uh, I did my weekly review this morning. Um, in fact, earlier today, Gene and I uh, recorded our 50th episode. Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, coming up on a year that we've been doing it and uh, we've managed to put out an episode every week. So 
that's been uh, it's been great for uh, keeping us accountable to each other and to the audience in terms of um, trying to uh, make a go of it and making our lives more organized. So I only started listening to the weekly review maybe three months ago. I started about three months ago. And I don't know what led me to it because I'm definitely not the type to do a New Year's resolution. Um, so that mm-hmm. definitely wasn't it, even though I guess the, the dates coincide. But just wondering, how did the idea of of getting a podcast to become accountable for doing something that uh, David Allen says you should do daily, weekly, monthly, annually, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. all the time? How did that come to be? Um, so... Uh, well, Gene and I um, have collaborated putting on a concert during WWDC week called Live Near WWDC. Um, we could talk about that later, maybe. But um, last year around this time, maybe a little earlier, um, the Apple's WWDC dates were announced. And uh, so she gave me a call so we could coordinate. And I told her that I had just read this book called Getting Things Done. And I knew it had been out forever, but I had only just gotten around to reading it. And it really resonated with me. And I was really excited about getting started doing, kind of trying this thing out. And she said, oh, yeah, I read that about 15 years ago. And I've tried it six or seven times. And I've always kind of fallen off. She said, but I'd do it again if I had a uh, like a, a GTD buddy to do it with. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then she said, you know, why don't we just make it a podcast? And I said, all right, that sounds great. And I was very excited about that. And, um, you know, we fleshed it out a little. And I don't know, three or four weeks later, we had a we had a podcast. So I I always laugh when people say, yeah, you know, I I read GTD and and I, I wanted to give it a try. And it's interesting that still to this day, I almost out of just spite for the idea I have still not read GTD in its entirety. I have picked up pieces and I mean, my productivity system is 100% analog, except for when I'm having a bad day and then it goes into OmniFocus for a little bit of clarity. But um, with that, I have adopted so many like terms that that I hear hear you know y'all talk about all the time with like a weekly review and inbox zero and things like that. Um, but I do wonder, and and like as a productivity coach, I wonder is all of the talk about how you are productive really all that necessary? How much has GTD actually affected you from I guess pre David Allen's book? and post David Alton's book? Uh, So, well, I'd say two things. One is that I had heard about GTD many years before, and I was absolutely in the same boat you were in where I was like, out of spite, like, I'm not reading this book. (laughs) Because I thought, you know, it's like, I had all these misconceptions about, like, about it. And then as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this makes total sense. I could see that. That, like, it really resonated with me. So, um, I... I kind of went from somebody who just had a somewhat like irrational, unfounded on anything, just just I don't like that, um, to really wanting to give it a try. And for me, the interesting thing about getting things done is that almost none of it has anything to do with getting things done. Um, 
it's sort of a misnomer in that the whole system is about kind of processing the inputs into your life into an organized way so that you're more easily able to get things done. But part of the process is hardly ever getting anything done. It's always kind of getting ready to get things done. Um, so it can seem like a lot of overhead. Um, but on the other hand, the notion is that you kind of are trying to capture everything that you would like to do, that you need to do into this trusted system. And then kind of once you have that system going and activated, right, you're, it kind of spits out the things you need to do when you need to do them without you needing to worry a lot about it day to day. That's the promise. It doesn't, it, it takes a while to get there. That's for sure. Um, we we're talking today because we've both been at it for about a year that in the book he says it's about two years um, before most people have their their system really up and tuned and working and that they're really relying on it um, the way it's intended. So that's a, that's a pretty long lead time to stay at something um, to get to the eventual result. So I could see why it's, it, I'm very happy to have Gene in this podcast to be able to kind of spur along, especially when things get uh, a little tough. Well, I, I definitely think, you know, two years is a very long time. And, and you know, I just finished uh, writer Carol's book, uh, The Bullet Journal Method, and he mentions giving uh, bullet journaling at least three months to to really start to make it your own. And I mean, I, I, I was like, I got stuff to do. You know, I can't, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can dedicate three months, let alone two years to a system that I'm just trying to understand. Um, but I have definitely seen the results work in uh, people's lives, especially in the tech space. But that brings up another question because I think you are the second person that I've talked to that has worked for um, the big A at some point in their career. And you came, you said you, you started a few months before Steve Jobs made his return and then left uh, shortly before um, he, he unfortunately passed. But I have always had this idea that the people around you help drive, motivate, and uh, kind of steer you towards the path that you're trying to take. And I just have to wonder, is working for someone so iconic like Steve Jobs, does that rub off on you in any way or did it rub off on you um, just in your day-to-day -day and even to this day? Um, yes. I never worked directly with Steve Jobs. Um most of, uh, I mean, I'd see him around campus and what have you, but uh, I think my my one regret in working at Apple um, is that not so much that I never like went up and said, hi, Steve, and like, because he wasn't really a, you know, like, take a selfie with me kind of guy. Um, it was more that there was nothing that I was working on that, that really was something that I'd be working with him on. Um, but on the other hand, just listening to him talk at like internal meetings at, uh, you know, um, when he'd give a keynote, when he'd give like anything that he said, right. Um, there would be kind of this 
communication of sort of this ethos of, you know, good design, of kind of looking past the obvious and trying to find kind of maybe um, the the sophisticated or the the um, the elegant design beyond kind of the brute force solution. Um, and I think I think even though even for folks who didn't work directly with Steve at Apple, you could tell just talking with people in conversations that 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 kind of ethos was there that that thought that you are trying to make something great for the customer, um, that it's it's better to take a little extra time to do it right. And that maybe that thinking something through from what seems like the right solution up front, if you give it some more thought, maybe it's something beyond that that's even better. Um, and you don't always have time to come up with that solution, um, but it's definitely a way of thinking that I think did rub off on me, certainly, and I think rubbed off on those around me. You know, that's interesting because it, it sounds very meticulous, and, I mean, you're a rock star. That's, that's what, like, being meticulous and being a musician sometimes don't, uh, I guess, coincide. Has that put a hamper on, like, creativity or inspiration at all? That's a good question, actually. I'm about to completely say no, but um, I don't think it's because of the influence of Steve Jobs, but I, I do find that there are some people who are able to like do something very quickly and put it out into the world and maybe not necessarily care if it's super polished, whereas I prefer to do something that's super polished, um, and it's hard for me to let something go. Um, honestly, one of the things that's been very freeing about uh, podcasting is that... Um, you know, just as we're doing, we sit down, we record, and it's off the cuff, and it's done, and I'm not really going back and doing heavy edits of things, whereas when I did uh, my album of songs, we spent a lot of time in the studio and a lot of time listening and adjusting and what have you, um, in part because I really wanted uh, a nice representation of those songs that I had written, and... Um, and didn't want to look back 10 years from now and say, oh, I wish we had spent a little more time like doing these things the way I really wanted to do them. Um, the other thing I would say is that I'm fairly meticulous about writing the songs, but because of the nature of our band where we definitely have different musicians in almost every performance, I'm not quite as meticulous about it's sounding exactly the same in every performance. It's more about projecting kind of the spirit of the songs as opposed to um, kind of having like note-for-note note mu musical excellence, I would say. It's more fun. Um, it's more about the fun and, and, and the spirit of the songs than it is about it sounding exactly like it does on the record because it never sounds exactly like it does on the record with us. I think B.B. King said, you got to feel it. <laughs> you know, that's... Oh, yeah. It's that, all about the feel. But I, I think that is... I, I mean, and, and it's weird because, again, you're coming from kind of two areas that often butt heads. Um, software development, programming is a very logical, like, 
this step, then this step, then this step, then this step. And then some of the greatest songs ever made. Um, hey Joe, uh, the Jimi Hendrix version. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire Abbey Road session. Um, you know, <laughs> a lot of these things were done with, we're just going to get up and do a thing. And even in my programming, I would say that I lean more to kind of the musician side of, I'm going to build a thing. I'm going to build it the best way that I know how. And then I'm going to iterate on it 9 million times. But that's mm-hmm. not going to stop me from putting that thing out there. It's just another version. It's, it's a remix to the original idea. And even this podcast, I mean, this podcast, it's called Productivity in Tech. And, and while we have talked a lot about productivity, we hardly ever talk about the tech. And that was just because the first five episodes of this podcast circa 2015, I think, they were all about, oh, using Todoist and, oh, using Evernote and all mm-hmm. these. And, and people get tired of the same old thing all the time. That's like musicians, like other than like Korean pop and kind of that factory, like that factory <laughs> manufactured sound. Um, it's always the sound that's different from the rest of the crowd that draws your attention. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that is something that developers maybe not ones that work at Apple because design is so enforced, but developers as a whole and designers as a whole kind of have to harness uh, that that uniqueness given the same instrument of sorts. And um, it's interesting that you mention as kind of things being in contention or butting up against each other. I, I always think of development and like writing songs um, – or even putting together a show, all of them to me are just different aspects of creative problem solving. Um, so, you know, software, you're trying to get something done. And yes, you're going to take logical steps when you write your code. But very, I mean, the process of kind of architecting something and taking in, it needs to do all of these things. It has all of these requirements how are we going to get that done? Sure, there's logic involved, but there's also a, a, a creative process also. It's not, you know, robotic. Um, similarly, like writing a song, you kind of start with the, at least for me, I get the germ of a song, but then there's a logic to it, right? Like what story is this song telling? Um, my songs tend to explain technical topics in a humorous way. So it's kind of like, what am I trying to explain here? Do these verses make sense in this order? Um, and then kind of getting into the rhyming. Um, but again, it's 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 a problem-solving issue um, that draws on your creativity. So to me, it's, um, it's all sort of the same as opposed to thinking of it as very different things. They might be, you know, utilizing different aspects of your personality, your talents, but, um, but in the end, you kind of have this, a notion of, something you're trying to achieve and almost always it's an an experience right whether it's a software user experience um with an app or you want somebody to feel a particular thing with a song or to laugh at certain places in a song um or if you're putting on a show right do you want you know you're building you know what's the set list so that things progress um, you know, you have a high point, maybe bring it down a little bit. And what's the experience that the attendees are going to have? But they're all 
based on this idea of a user experience. So I, I definitely can't wait to hear your song on uh, setting up Docker containers because that is something that has baffled me for so long. <laughs> and I think I could use a laugh or two about doing that because right now I always just want to pull my hair out. Um, yeah, I Well, having worked at Apple for a long time, I cannot talk about unreleased products or songs. Um <laughs> But no, I, as far as I know, I have no Docker songs in the works, but uh, that might be an interesting one to do. <laughs> well, well, speaking of which, I mean, you, you've talked about finding the germ of a song. Does that usually come from, uh, I guess, banging your head against the wall on some code that you're writing? Or, or is it just something out of interest that makes you laugh? Like, what, what have you discovered makes some of the best music? Um, so... For me, the things that tend to make the like the best music, oddly enough, it's usually good to do a song about a topic that people are somewhat familiar with, um, because then they get the jokes. If you do a topic about something that's brand new, people don't know the topic well enough to understand why this is amusing. Um, I'd say... In some cases, I've written songs specifically because I wanted to clarify in my mind a topic. Um, so I did um, around the time, way back when, when Apple transitioned from PowerPC to Intel chips and their Macs, um, there was a switch from uh, big Endian chips to little Endian chips. So I did a song called Endian Reservations, uh, which explains Endianness. And why it can be annoying. Um, and then, uh, let's see, another one that was something that I wanted to understand better for myself was a song called uh, about the designated initializer in uh, Objective-C. And the premise, well, not the premise, but the idea being that it got the better of me and explaining how being sloppy about overriding your superclasses and it methods can... Uh, can really bite you um, and explaining it in great detail it's one of my favorite songs unfortunately um, in Swift well fortunately unfortunately for the song fortunately for developers in Swift they've changed how initialization works so that you cannot get into that issue and in fact at one point uh, one of the Swift engineers when somebody was asking about why is it this way they referred them to my song to say this is what used to happen in objective c and now you can't do that anymore so that was a fun moment to see to see that happen you were a source of inspiration for someone <laughs> and information yeah i do find that if you're able to explain a technical topic in like a three or four minute song and like not technical like technical at a very precise level um that that's probably a pretty good, pithy explanation. I definitely agree. And that's something that I have had to uh, work on a little uh, just in, I think, effective communication. Uh, one, you know, being able to get across what you're trying to say without rambling or, or without confusing people even more that mm -hmm. that tends to be the, the path that I take um and 
uh, I've learned that, you know, like you said, if you make it funny, if you make it easy to understand, and if you make it relevant, that tends to be uh, three of the easiest ways to effectively get your point across. And mm-hmm. is is that the same with, because I'm really interested in the the musician who develops I, I was once a musician and now I, I would be embarrassed if I picked up an instrument, but now I'm moving towards that full-time like marketer, uh, content creator, developer, uh, those roles, uh, and they feel so different, but at the same time, it's like they, they scratch different itches. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first, what instruments did you play? Um, I was, I was pretty much a, a stringist, so I, bass, guitar, or bass, well, bass guitar and like any type of acoustic or electric guitar. Um, I grew up in the, in the South, in Georgia, uh, actually Tennessee slash Georgia. So my first concert was the Black Crows and I had a wonderful opportunity a few years down the road to, to play with some some jam band artists and oh nice and get into that that world and uh, a really interesting scene. Uh, I mean, I I went to high school in Macon, Georgia. I lived in Macon for a while, and um, the Almond Brothers are everything there. And I, I actually had an apartment around the corner from Rose Hill Cemetery, where Dwayne Almond and Barry Oakley are both buried. And oh, awesome. Um, but yeah, it, it it was always fun, but eventually I, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I gave it up. I, I don't want to say I grew up because I didn't, but I, uh, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with the technology side and helping people. And the more and more I did that, the less I, I picked up instruments. And then somehow I got married and instruments started disappearing all over the place. And mm-hmm. now I like, I'm like, where did everything go? So it's always fun to pick up a bass guitar every once in a while or, and, you know, play, play a lick to like the lemon song or, you know, do something like that. But ultimately I, I think I have a better career as a, uh, as a developer and content creator than I ever did as a musician. Well, if you're ever, um, if we're ever in the same town together and I'm doing a breakpoint jam, you are more than welcome to, to sit in on a song or two. Um, Cause that's how those work. Since I can't travel with a full band, when I perform at tech conferences, essentially mostly other speakers, it's amazing how many folks in tech play guitar or some other instrument. Um, I kind of figure out who can play, who's willing to play. I send them kind of chord sheets and uh, practice tracks to rehearsal to rehearse to. And they learn up. The, they learn up. They practice up on the songs, and uh, then we put on put on a show that's. Uh, uh, like I said a little earlier, it's always a different group of people every time. Um, never the same lineup. Um, people repeat show to show, but um, we've had, oh, people on guitar, people on Chapman stick, xylophone, ukulele, trombone. Oh, wow. Uh, all sorts of wild. Um, I don't think we've had a kazoo yet. You'd think we'd have those sh- <laughs> that one of those show up, but... Um, yeah, it's always a different lineup, and um, it's always a lot of fun. So you'd be more than welcome to join us. I might have to look into that next time. Uh, I'm trying to think the the next conference that's in my neck of the woods is uh, Django Con, and I think they're going to have they'll probably have the uh, 
Oh, what is that band? I think they're called. They're not the Jingo Knots, but it, it's something. It's a it's a jazz band that uh they tend to. It's Django. It's a Django related theme, so they usually book them. But oh, uh, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm always I'm always interested in, in music and, and new music and I mean I, I guess the last conver- the last uh, question that I have before we jump into the after show is how did you come the up with the weekly review yeah, theme the weekly song? Review, sitting down at So good. Like I've had so many people that are just like, "Oh, have you listened to the weekly review?" Yeah, their theme song's awesome. Like, so you have you have put out a hit uh, with that with that intro. That's awesome. Well, uh, uh, it's uh, so li- like I mentioned earlier that Gene and I had that conversation about doing a a podcast, and at the time, actually, I was in uh, Las Vegas for a couple of days, kind of doing, I don't even know what you call it, like a corporate retreat for my one-person company, right? Just going to a different location and kind of doing some brainstorming, doing like thinking about what I wanted to do next or what have you. So literally I wrote that song in Las Vegas um, In right after uh, Gene and I talked. I was like, oh, awesome, we get to do a theme song. So I wrote, uh, if you listen to the, the podcast, Kind of there's a short version, which is just the chorus up front, and then at the end is kind of the full version with a verse and a chorus. So I think I wrote the verse for it first, um, and I thought that was going to be the, the theme song, and then the next day I came up with the other part. And then I know that I'm terrible at like music production, um, but I had met uh, Jonathan Mann, who uh, is Song A Day Man. He records yeah. a song a day. And uh, I had met him at uh, uh, the Yosemite conference a couple of times, and he sat in on our Breakpoint Jam. And um, so I contacted him and asked him to basically produce it um, because I always like his stuff. And also I know he can do a song a day, and if I were to produce it, it would have taken like at least six months and it wouldn't have sounded as good. Um, so he worked on it. I recorded the vocals. Gene recorded some backing vocals. And, um, yeah, we were just thrilled with how it turned out. Um, he did an awesome job producing it. And uh, it's It's one of my favorite songs that I've written. It's I, I, it's nice and catchy. Gene and I always sing it together before we, uh, before we start an episode. Well, it, it definitely is catchy. And it's, it's interesting because as I'm writing in my notebooks, regardless of what time of the week it is, it's it's always playing in my head like, oh, I need to plan my day. And then the weekly review, yeah. And it's like, ah, it's back. <laughs> Very catchy. Well, you did the right well, things. Oh, thank you. I was going to say either I'm sorry or you're welcome, depending on. <laughs> Whether you're enjoying it, having it in your head, or if it's annoying to you. Oh no, it's it's definitely a, a, a good thing to have stuck in your head. I've I've had many many a, a song that I don't want in there, and and I will definitely take the weekly review uh, any day of the week. Awesome. So I think that's gonna wrap up the actual show, and 
you people listening, you know, everyone listening out there, not right now, but when we release this, um, I'm sure you're wondering, well, if that's the show, why is he still talking? Well, that's because in a second, James is going to interview me in... I don't know what we're going to call that show, but it's going to be another show. And it's going to be available to people who support productivity in tech and all the crazy things we're doing or any of the podcasts that are lined up with the J&J Media Group, which is a company that I started another one um, to help inspire people to get out and create things. And we actually help people by handling um, whether it's podcast editing newsletter creation, social media stuff, um, all of those different things. Video editing, that's actually a new service that we now offer. Um, and you can help support that by supporting by giving one week of hosting to the podcast, which is $3. And a one-time donation gives you permanent access to all of the after show episodes. And the I always say they're unedited, but they are edited just because my workflow will not let me just put something out there. Um, my neuroses will cause me to have a panic attack if I did that, but, uh, you get that access and more. And if you want to learn about that, there's a link in the show notes, or you can go to code-fi.com slash J and J media. Again, James, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the show. Please tell everybody how they can reach out and connect with you. Oh, sure. Um, so you can, uh, Find me at uh, jamesdempsey.net. Um, that's uh, my main site. From there, you can sign up uh, for uh, our mailing list. It's a very low-volume mailing list. I hate getting lots of emails from random sources, so I send out very few. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter or micro.blog, at jamesdempsey. Awesome. So are you ready for the after show? I am. All right, I got to do my spiel. Uh, I have so many spills these days. Um, someone should get them up. Uh, bad joke. <laughs> All right, thank you for entertaining that one. But at the end of every show, I pass the host baton, not button, because I said button for three years and people were like, I don't know what a host button is. Um, so the, the host baton over to you. And this is now your show and which you get to ask me whatever questions you want for as long or as short as you want about whatever you want. And at this point, I will stop talking and pass it over to you. All right. So my first question is, um, when you were saying you would pass the host button over, did you actually mean a baton and you just were pronouncing it button? Or did you actually mean you're passing like the control button over to the other person? I, I, I think it was more like, hey, I'm giving you control of of the conversation from this point. Uh, and, and yeah, for so long, I didn't even think about what I was saying. And it was just like, yeah, I passed the host button over. And finally, someone said, what's a host button? And I was like, That's I've been sitting. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then I was like, hmm, they're like, do you mean baton? And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> that's That is some very actionable uh, listener feedback that is sometimes rare sometimes you just get that oh that was great or oh I don't like this at all um, but it's nice to get something that you can actually uh, act on definitely um, so so you said yes that's another company of mine um, what what things are you working on these days oh boy so I will not I will not bother our uh, 
premium I mean, members. Besides this podcast, the, uh, obviously. Well, and, and that's where I was going because Jean asked me a similar question. She said, "What other podcasts are you doing?" And then we spent thirty minutes talking about the other five podcasts that I have. <laughs> so, um, oh yes, non-podcast <laughs> things. What else are you doing? Yeah, um, I do a lot of podcasting. Um, I'm also uh, working on a few projects, and the one that I'm promoting right now, ComTalks.dev, that was. I don't know, just an idea that came to me a few weeks ago and everyone was like, this is an amazing idea. You should really build this. I think people would love it. And I was like, okay. And uh, yeah, apparently now that's a full-fledged business. Uh, But (laughs) the biggest job that I have right now outside of my day job is uh, this media company that I'm I'm trying to put together that kind of goes as J&J Media, but is also a part of Productivity in Tech, which is the official business name for everything that I do. But Mm -hmm. uh, with that, right now, the biggest thing that I'm doing is uh, media promotion, a lot of uh, like automation around and like workflow setup. Uh, You mentioned a low volume newsletter. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not a fan of email, but I do see the results that it drives, um, especially once you have an audience. So what I try to do is I try to make those emails as informational and reliable as possible. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for a while with a couple of podcasters and and their podcasts and training curriculums and courses. But um, as you've noticed, I love music. I love sound in general. I grew up around instruments all over the place. And as I've gotten older, my passion has gone more towards the editing side which is why I now do uh, podcast editing, which is probably why I have so many podcasts because mm-hmm. <laughs> when when people don't give you their podcast to edit, you have to come up with reasons to edit audio. So you just start doing your own. Um, but doing that, I just started doing video courses as well, which uh, a lot more profitable than podcasts. You'd be surprised. <laughs> so uh, I think in the near future, we might be focusing and promoting more of the video side of things but also I'm an automator. You know, I, I got into programming from a scripting background. Uh, it started with the essentials, you know, the bash scripts, the shell scripts. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I fell in love with Python. Um, all of my projects use Python in some way, shape or form. Most of them are web frameworks. Um, I actually built my own web framework because Flask was still too big. Django is massive, but Bottle is just a little bit too small. So I'm like in the process of trying to build that in between, between Flask and Pelican. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if if you're familiar with any of those or it might just sound like I'm shouting random things. Um, (laughs) But I, the biggest thing that I've always done, and I think this is, I guess a good way to wrap it up is I've always wanted to help people be more. And that is, I mean, that is why that is the kind of the slogan on the pit website is like, think, do be more. And then productive is like tiny letters because I understand there is, you have to be able to do those things productively, but more than anything, I want to help people achieve the things that they want to actually put out into the world. Um, which is why I love, you know, these these smaller projects like the weekly review and and like uh, micro.blog with Manton and Gene and and what they've been doing, because it is a good example of when you have a, an idea, no matter how boutique it is or um, how driven um, by, uh, I guess, 
social conflict it is with just a little bit of effort and maybe a little bit of help on the side, you can really achieve something greater than you'd ever expect. Excellent. Um, and I have to say, conftalks.dev, when you mentioned it at the top of the show, I was like, oh, I have to get that URL. That sounds like... <laughs> I, was, I, I was so amazed that it was available. I, I actually picked up conftalks.dev, and then I picked up lightningtalks.dev, and I was like, yes, that's the gold mine right there. <laughs> that's nice. Um, do you mind my asking, like, how long did it take um, you to get from concept to deploying your site and what is it written in um the site itself took about i say two days the the back end is using that that fancy back end that i built that again is is a mixture of like pelican um and it's not even really pelican it's inspired by pelican but i i fell in i used to run pit on flask like way back in the day, Flask and MongoDB. And mm -hmm. I had so many problems when every time I would upload an episode, something else would break. And I just got so tired. I was going to, I mentioned earlier, like if you could write a song about Docker containers, I should have said if you could write a song about Mongo sharding, like that would be <laughs> great. But um, I since fell in love with uh, static pages and I wanted to make sites as static as possible. And I built this little thing that I call Render Engine that um, essentially is a Pelican, I would say, I wouldn't say competitor, but it does a lot of what Pelican does, but kind of more with a flasky feel to it. And that was like the perfect thing because originally uh, ConfTalks was just written in HTML, CSS, and a couple of iframes that hosted like Airtable databases. But... As I started making more and more changes and started adding more and more pages, I was like, this is horrible. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to run this render engine that I have that does everything and use Bootstrap as the, the web framework or the front-end framework. And it, I think after that decision, it literally took 10 minutes to like completely rebuild, attach everything, and I was off to the races. And yeah, I mean, I think the best decision that I made was using Airtable as my database temporarily just so that I could collect the information. And now I'm actually in the process of migrating that over to Postgres so that I can do a little bit more with the open, like a lot of the open map services and mm -hmm. use that to connect where people say they are or where they want to be and where the conferences are or where they want to be. And then use a little bit of distance uh, querying to figure out what would be the best conferences for people to attend. Awesome. That's very cool. Um, let's see. Are there any questions that you wish week after week that somebody would ask you? <laughs> um, you know, it, it varies. It, it always, it, it's always different because, you know, my, I try to find, guests that are not just oh I'm a software developer I want like I'm a software developer and like that's in that and usually drives a little bit of creativeness you know creativity to these questions um more music talk I, I love talking about music oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see so well you mentioned that you your instruments gradually disappeared over the years do you have any left I, I think right now we just have a cajon, 
And um, I, I've kind of hinted, um, our daughter was born last September and I've, I've brought it up several times. I want there to be instruments around the house. Um, I want her to interact and engage with instruments like I did when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I think that that, uh, did wonders for my personal development, but, uh, I do a lot of, I mean, now again, a lot of it is done behind the keyboard, um, at one point, I did just kind of give up hope. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be an electronic musician because then I have all the instruments at the palm of my hands. And yeah, that didn't really pan out all that well. But I think there is really something to say about being able to take something that either someone did, um, with their permission, of course, and or kind of an idea or a thought or, or a sound. A, a lot of the electronic experiments that I, I made back in the day were of not songs, but like speeches. Um, I just think there's a lot of power in words. And mm-hmm. to me, like uh, you have you have people that go, oh, I don't listen to the words. I just listen to the music. For me, the words are, are the music. Um, I think the way that someone can say something can bring such a wonderful thought or a wonderful feeling into a a song or a verse. Absolutely. And it always bugs me when people say I don't listen to the words because... um, (laughs) Why am I writing them? (laughs) Right, exactly. The words are like a big part. Like, Well, in part, maybe I think I'm better at writing the words than I am at writing the music itself. So, um, but... uh, yeah, well, first, congratulations um, on uh, your your the lovely addition to your family. And um, yeah, I remember me as a kid, um, if there was a piano, I would be banging on it. Not making music on it, but banging on it. Um, but I think a ukulele is a great instrument to have around the house uh, with, with kids. Um, they're not super expensive to get a halfway decent one they're kind of kid-sized to begin with but they're also fun to play as an adult absolutely i i think the uh i i have started to like a few percussion instruments and maybe i just want my my daughter to be an awesome drummer i don't know i watched a there's like a youtube video going around of like i think she's like a five-year-old little girl who's playing good times bad times on drums and I think she, I've seen that, yes. So good. Just so good. It's amazing. <laughs> so now I'm like, maybe I can get a djembe or I can get like some congas and and have her uh, just bang on it for a little bit and learn about rhythm. And and then eventually we can migrate into some other, other types of instruments. That's awesome. Yeah, for me, my drum kit as a kid was uh, some pots and pans on the kitchen floor. I think that's how it all has to start at some and point. It's, it's awesome. I have a there's a couple of pictures I found recently of me on the floor like that and I was like, "Oh yeah." Uh, those are those things that you can get away with when you're 4, but if you do it as an adult, <laughs> people kind of look at you funny. I mean, I mean, I I would my my daughter and I we have our little song offs and it's funny she'll start she'll start crying about something and and then I will I will take her tears and and her squeals and I'll try to make a little song out of them and um Oh fun. And as Very she's nice. crying about something I'll I'll you know turn it into a little ditty of why are you crying? <laughs> and like every everything at our house eventually becomes a musical. So <laughs> it's it's well, always fun. And I think sometimes we get all we get very 
like tied up in um like music and the, like big performers or whatever but in the end like there can be so much creativity and joy and music and laughter just in interpersonal relationships in your own house in your own family um and i think sometimes we forget about that when we talk about music because those things actually are perhaps uh maybe more meaningful on a personal level than you know the song that a gazillion million people listen to you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of music to this day that really just blows me away um and Again, growing up in a family of musicians, um, my uncle actually is a professional musician um, by trade. His name is Nadir, um, or Jonah Jonah Nadir Omowale, and he he plays out of Detroit. And a lot of the songs that I grew up listening to, a lot of the songs on his albums were songs that we would, you know, we would be joking around and, and there'd be like a little, there'd be like a single lyric or a single line in a verse. And I'm like, I remember when that we came up with that. And mm-hmm. he would ask me about, you know, oh, what do you think of this? And I'm like, no, no, it needs to be more like this. And, and you know, it, it's so much fun thinking back to those days where, you know, I, I never put out a, a platinum album or, or anything like that, but... I feel like I still put something out into the world. And to this day, there are still songs that like I haven't owned a guitar in like two years. But at the same time, I could probably pick one up and immediately start playing the licks to a to a song called Daddy's Cane and 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 some other ones. And and really just it takes me back to a place where, you know, we would play at my grandmother's, you know, his mom's uh, house. And uh, she passed away uh, four years ago. And, you know, she was kind of a, a familial, you know, centerpiece. She was a pianist and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's an old, old upright piano there and it was way out of tune, but we didn't care. We'd make music on it and it sounded great anyway. And, and we would do so much in that place that, I mean, today the house is, is empty um, and it's just sitting there. But at the same time, there's so many memories that were filled, so many songs that were made in that space that... I mean, there's no album that could ever replace that. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, great. Um, I think we've uh, talked about some great stuff, and uh, I'm I'm ready to hand the host baton and button, <laughs> both of them, back over to you. It's been really great uh, uh, talking with you. Absolutely. I, I know you wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the content stuff. Let me stop my recording really quick because I don't like recording business stuff. It's weird. Sure. Um, do that too. One second.